Welcome to ID the Future, a podcast about evolution and intelligent design. I'm your host for this episode, Tom Gilson. Discovery Institute Press has a new book out and available at Amazon, Heretic, One Scientist's Journey from Darwin to Design. The scientist of the title and one of the book's co-authors, Mati Lesala, recently spoke to a group in Dallas, Texas, where he talked about his career as a professor and bioengineer, about his experiences as a Darwin-doubting heretic in a land sold out to Darwinian materialism, and about what he considers the best argument for intelligent design. He joined the Dallas gathering via Skype from his native Finland. Greetings from Finland. If you imagine where Anchorage is, I'm at the same altitude at the moment. Helsinki is very high in north. And at the moment, we have very cold weather. The cold weather came from Russia, Siberia, and it hit the whole Europe, but especially Finland. At the moment, we are allowed minus five degrees Fahrenheit here. Very cold. My dog doesn't want to go out at all. I have never been in Texas, although I have been traveling around the world quite a lot. And I have quite a close connection to the United States because my grandparents moved to Michigan when I was only three years old in 1951. And I visited my grandparents. They are now dead, of course, but a couple of times in northern Michigan. I've traveled to Seattle. I've been in Portland, I've been many times in San Francisco, Los Angeles, but never in Texas. Texas is, in my mind, connected to people like J.R., John Wayne, and, and of course, my hero when I was young was David Crockett, who obviously died, died in, in Alamo. So, everybody in Finland feels very familiar with Americans. The book, obviously, that is being introduced to you, The Heretic, is more or less my life story as a scientist, or as a Christian who is a scientist in a materialistic science world. And there I describe my my struggles with all kinds of uh, different kinds of people, like professors, university presidents, free thinkers, skeptics, bishops, publishers, broadcasters, and so on. When I started to publicly talk about these things, I realized that it is not so simple. People are not logical as they think they are. People are irrational, emotional, once you touch their basic belief systems. In this sense, all people are religious. And when you shake their foundations, they get irrational. Laisala describes one period in particular. He and some fellow Darwin doubting intellectuals published a single issue magazine in Finland making the case against modern evolutionary theory. It was distributed all over Finland. A hue and cry went up, and all manner of odd and uncivilized behavior quickly ensued. A case in point, One well-educated scholar tried to refute them with a surreal claim about the second law of thermodynamics, known as the law of entropy. First time when I when I really faced was faced this, we wrote an article. We were a group of young men. We we made a special issue, special magazine, 
The topic was evolution, and I wrote there the article, The Origin of Life. And we printed 30,000 copies of this magazine, which is quite a lot for a country like ours, less than 5 million people at the moment. And I was invited to a radio interview, and there are two old professors. They really got angry and furious with me. I was, of course, a young man then, about 30, and I was really upset. And one of the professors got so mad that he said that even the basic law of nature tells that everything gets better and better all the time, the second law of thermodynamics. <laughs> and I, I knew enough of science knowing that this is just exactly the opposite, but that's what he said in the radio. But this, is, this was my first experience, how mad people can get, how angry they can get if you touch their basic beliefs. At the Dallas event, Professor Laysala also described the focus of his scientific research, work that has led to patents and 140 peer-reviewed science papers. As a bioengineer, he focused on sugars and enzymes. He describes one pattern in particular that reinforced his conviction that evolutionary processes are extremely limited in how much they can change an organism. I have worked with biotechnology both in industry and in academic circles. And the aim of my research was always practical applications. And I have worked especially with bacteria, with yeast and with fungi. And the aim has always been to improve or to get more out of these organisms than they naturally and normally do. For instance, overproduction of chemicals. Some of you may have diabetes, for instance, there, and you take insulin. Insulin was earlier extracted from bigs, but then with modern genetic engineering techniques, insulin, human insulin gene was transferred to bacteria or to yeast, and now it's produced in large quantities through these microorganisms. And that all started in 1980s, early 80s. So microorganisms can be used to overproduce many things, acids, sugars, and so on. Since I worked in a sugar company that grew then to be a big industrial biotechnology company, I have been very much involved with sugar research. But there is another area where I have been working very much, and that's enzymes, that's in proteins, and especially protein modifications. Every time you wash your laundry, you add washing powder, and this washing powder has all usually enzymes that, for instance, degrade protein stains. Maybe you have blood on your shirt, and these enzymes degrade these blood stains, and you get a clean shirt afterwards. Many of these small amount of proteins that is added to washing powders don't necessarily work naturally in this kind of conditions where you have all kinds of other chemicals and temperatures and conditions. So you can modify these enzymes to work better in such conditions. That has been part of my work also. My experience as a scientist has been that although we can modify microorganisms to do something that we want them to do, or modify proteins to function better. These modifications 
is fairly modest. We cannot really change the nature system very much, very far. And even when we change the organism to do something, what we want to do, and we put that back to the nature, they usually return back to their natural original state. For instance, we, we added about 100 copies of a gene that was needed for the enzyme that makes high fructose corn syrup. And when we then grew the organism in large tanks, something like 50 cubic meter tanks, and the organism grew there, it lost all these extra genes that finally, when the experiment was over, most of the genes were gone. So you can modify nature to a certain degree, but there is always the tendency that it returns back to the natural state. Dr. Lesela also told his Dallas audience that a key body of evidence for him is the fact that microbes are information-rich. He said he also finds it telling that many of his colleagues, some of them brilliant scientists, have either never thought seriously about how evolution could produce so much complex information, or they have admitted to him privately that they don't have a clue how biological information originated. To me, biotechnology is information science, and that means that we can read the genetic information we can understand it, we can write it to a certain extent, and to me it refers directly to the original author of information. One of my favorite verses is John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, which is the Greek word logos. So the final reality to me is information and not randomness. If I have to give one example, that's a unbelievably large information content of every living system. Um, and that is all regulated carefully. I would say that information, genetic alphabet, genetic language, that's that's the key to understand all problem. Of course, with the origin of life, no scientist has any idea. I've talked with hundreds of colleagues around the world, and once you get them in a corner and talk with them and ask what they understand, they admit they don't know anything. I remember one discussion in Myrtle Beach. One of the most intelligent biochemists I knew, the late Professor Michael Gold, I asked him that, what do you think of evolution? Is it a nice story or is it a fact? And he said that he has never really thought about it, but probably it's a fact. And I was amazed that this world-famous biochemist had never seriously thought about that. Lisa also took questions from the audience. I'm, I'm Linda Buell, Maddie, and I want to know, when you're talking to a scientist like the one who said, I've never given any thought to it about yes. the origin of life, and, and you make them aware of the reality of all of the information that is required, in order yeah. for a cell to function. What is their response when you try to get them to explain where this information comes from? I mean, it just makes no sense that uh, just random forces or accidents create information. I mean, that's, a, that's illogical. So how do they come to grips 
with the fact that there's got to be information being coded into these mechanisms. I heard a voice. I didn't see anybody. So obviously you are there on the... Oh, you have to see me. I'm just so gorgeous. Okay. Nice to see you. Okay, go ahead. First of all, most scientists accept Darwinian thinking as part of their culture. They have never thought it seriously. I tell you a story about my time in Switzerland. I came there as a postdoctoral student in 1981. I came to the world-famous Institute of Biotechnology at Swiss Federal Institute of Technology. And when you come there as a young new scientist, they ask you to give a seminar. So I gave a seminar about my work in genetic engineering, my criticism of Darwinian thinking, and some basis of Christian philosophy that I learned from Francis Schaeffer. After my talk, the audience about this size as you are there was completely silent. The head of the institute walked out from the room slammed the door and left. Two scientists came to me and said, this was very interesting. We want to discuss with you more. One of them joined our Bible study group later. Uh, the head of the institute came to me the next day and said, Dr. Lazel, we had a problem. We don't discuss philosophy in our science seminars. I wanted to say to him that this is your philosophy, but I didn't. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm, I will be a nice boy from this day on. I became a good friend with this professor. I describe our discussion in my book a little bit. I even have his photo there with my children. But these few scientists that came had never thought this before. One was a Mexican guy who thought that this can't be true, what I said. So he brought his molecular biologist friend to argue with me. And I, I asked his question, where does information come? Where does genetic code come? And this biologist who was a fully Darwinian said, I have never thought it this way. And this is what I have faced many, many times. People have never seriously thought about that. There are two ways that they react. They start thinking about it, or they avoid the question and disappear and don't want to talk at all. Laisala took other questions from the audience. One of them, how and when did he first get interested in microorganisms? I have to disappoint you this way, that when I was in high school, I was not interested in science at all. I was interested in my girlfriend. <laughs> then I wanted to study electrical engineering. But I didn't get into that part of the department, so I was I started to study chemistry. And later I realized that this is really the field that I like. So I started to look at biochemistry, microbiology, and I was fascinated when I could cultivate pure cultures of yeast and fungi and bacteria. So I did my doctoral work on cultivating wood-rotting fungi that produces a lot of enzymes that degrade cellulose fibers. 
And during my doctoral thesis, I always showed an experiment that I, to my relatives that I took a newspaper, I shredded it into pieces, added my enzyme there, and it was solubilized to sugars. And I said that in future we can read the newspaper, put it in a flask, make a sugar out of that, and spread it on our porridge. <laughs> Unfortunately, this hasn't folded like that, but those cellulose degrading enzymes are widely used to make alcohol from lignocellulose, they are used to bleach genes and so on, to make cotton material soft and, and so on. So applications like that. But probably to your question, I got really interested in microorganisms when I was about 20, 23 years old. Heretic, One Scientist's Journey from Darwin to Design is a substantially new book, but its foundation is an earlier Finnish book by Professor Lesala, now in its third edition. In his conversation with the audience in Dallas, the Finnish scientist discussed how some of his university colleagues reacted when he loaned them copies of that book, and why he's convinced that a strengths and weaknesses approach to teaching modern evolutionary theory is a good approach in the science classroom. I wrote the book in Finnish language first, and it's now in three editions. The third edition has been sold out. I gave it to my professor colleagues and other friends here in Finland. When I asked them later, many of them, what did you like? The answer was, I haven't had time yet to read it. Which means that they want to avoid this question. Because once you start thinking this question, you are faced with the question, who has done all this? Who is behind? What is the source of information? And that makes people uneasy. And this is exactly how I reacted about 45 years ago. It made me uneasy and angry. I was really angry when somebody challenged my basic beliefs. Of course, I have, I have four children. They have went to Finnish school system. They have studied evolution. But they have also studied the books that I have written. And, for instance, my daughter at the age of about 10 brought one of my articles to her teacher. The teacher got really angry and upset. Later, when he wrote about Darwinism in the biology test, and also the criticism of Darwinism, he got A-plus because she not only knew the subject, but also could criticize that. And this is exactly what I would like to see. I've been telling in Finland all the time that I don't want evolution to be removed. I want it to be taught honestly and on the basic level ask these most important questions. Where does information come from? To learn more about Mati Lesala and his fascinating scientific career making waves in Darwin's warm little pond, across the pond, jump over to Amazon and search for Heretic, One Scientist's Journey from Darwin to Design. There you'll find author bios, enthusiastic endorsements from some great scientists, and a growing number of five-star reader reviews. Buy a copy, read the book, and join the conversation by leaving a review. For ID the Future, I'm Tom Gilson. Thanks for listening. 
This program was recorded by Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture. ID the Future is copyright Discovery Institute. For more information, visit intelligentdesign.org and idthefuture.com.